Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome, Sabrina. It's good to have you on the call. Oh, it's so great to be here today with you and your audience. Fantastic. I mean, I know you've, uh, we're talking into your dinner time, so I appreciate you making this time available for us. Well, tonight we're having salmon, swordfish, and roasted squash, so you're missing out. Wow, salmon, swordfish, and roasted squash. Well, you're probably celebrating something quite amazing there. No, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, this is a, nor- a normal night here at the old Sabrina Horn household. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. I mean, you probably, you know, people are going to want to know more about your cooking recipes after this um, <laughs> podcast, but, but we'll leave that aside for later. So I've been reading about some of the work you're doing. Uh, I've read your latest book, for example. And, you know, what's interesting about the work you're doing around authenticity for leaders is that right at this time, just about every single newspaper outlet is running some story about the lack of authenticity, whether it's Facebook or another company. When you were writing your book and doing your latest work, did you feel that there would be a need for this message or was it just a happy coincidence? Oh, no, it wasn't just a happy coincidence at all. I really have felt that in the last five years, so many people have forgotten about the fact that integrity and authenticity matter, both in business and in our personal relationships, frankly. And so I really wanted to put a pin in this ridiculous phrase, fake it till you make it, that started off, uh, honestly, as kind of just an innocent little quip, but took a turn for the worse, and I feel has given people a reason and an excuse to essentially just lie in order to achieve success. And, And everything is wrong with that. I think that is just terrible advice. Um, so I wanted to write a book, you know, telling the stories from my own career in public relations in Silicon Valley, which has been known to fake it from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and, you know, write about some of my own lessons and the mistakes I, I made and observed um, to try and um, help others avoid uh, doing that and um, perhaps take a, a straighter path. So let's think about it. Let's unpack this for the audience because it's, I agree with you in everything you're saying, but let's put ourselves into the shoes or minds of an aggressive or ambitious startup CEO, tech CEO, listed company CEO. And we live in a culture where if you look at the stories people talk about, that becomes what they're known for and what is celebrated. I mean, one of the most famous stories is the fact that when Steve Jobs launched the iPhone, the phone wasn't even ready. What he showed the audience was not a working phone. How do we reconcile that? We have a society where on the one and all the stories we talk about is how they made it when they weren't ready. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's a very important point. And I did actually write about Steve Jobs in my book. And I would say that we can probably single him out a bit because he's such a, was such an exceptional person who did exceptional things. Yes. And, you know, so to your to your question, if you're Steve Jobs, you already have credibility in your back pocket because you've done 
a couple decades of other things yes. and delivered delivered on promises and and a vision when there was nothing and 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 made good on those promises it that is way different than a startup ceo or a CEO of a larger company who puts out a vision with the intent to lure people in, to get them excited, but perhaps also to deceive them when you may not really have all of your ducks in a row and mm-hmm. you may mm-hmm. actually know that your product isn't probably not going to ship on time. Yeah. And, you know, the vision that you're selling, well, you're leaving out the words that it's not going to happen for a few years. And perhaps you're overpromising that all of this is going to be available shortly. You know, there, there's a huge difference there, right? Yes. And so when I write about faking it and telling a vision, I mean, vision is all well and good. It's meant to inspire and be aspirational, right? And get people on board, but you have to have the goods to back it up. And you have Mm -hmm. to be honest about what you have to deliver on that and what you don't, right? And that is the fine line between being authentic and honest versus faking it when you do and say things at other people's expense for personal gain. Okay, this is very interesting. I want to unpack this for the audience so everyone can follow what you're saying because it's important. And I see there's two separate points you're making, both important. The first one is that if you truly believe something will happen and you are preparing the world for that, but you believe it's really going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet, but you believe you can do it, that's fine, right? Yes, and and of course that you have a strategy and a plan uh, right. That's been vetted and that's been uh, bantered back and forth between you and your leadership team and your board and your investors. And that you've also have a track record, right, of saying, well, you know, this isn't going to work and that isn't going to work. So we have to adjust it. Right. Yes. So, so that's the first point. Very important. And there's a second point here whereby it's OK to have a big vision as long as you're honest about what you have behind that vision. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and, and then there's a third point. Sorry, you want to say something? Yeah, no, it's just, I agree with you. Like you can have a huge vision. I mean, some of the executives that we read about every day, innovators and disruptors have huge visions, but they back it up with a plan and they know that they need to start from square one and they're, and they're grounded in that reality, right? So I absolutely agree with you on that point. And then there's a third portion, which we kind of allude to, but I'm sure... If the major major part is that you cannot make promises if the intent is to deceive, because that's the opposite of the spectrum. Yes, exactly. That's where you cross the line. And, you know, sometimes you can still be a good person with good yes. morals and be compelled to deceive because you're under incredible pressure or you're you're overwhelmed or you're you're not making your number or you're worried you might lose your job or uh, you might not get the funding that you need yeah. and the window of opportunity is closing, right? And so you shoot from the hip, you make something up, you exaggerate the truth or minimize or distort the facts, right? And that there is that, I call it the fake it moment, mm-hmm. which is when you have that, you can make that choice to regroup and say, this is not going the way I want it to go. Yes. I have to regroup and figure out a different plan, a different strategy, talk to other people. There is always an answer. You just have to find it. The answer is not making something up and lying. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that that is the behavior that gets so many executives in trouble because the bottom line is this is the other half of it that the truth always always comes out. Yes. So I want to go down that route that you uh, laid out for me. But before we get to this, just maybe a point I want to make. When I hear the term fake it until you make it, the way I interpret it is a little bit different is that I assume, well, the way I was thinking about it is that you fake your confidence levels, but you're truthful about what you are doing when people ask you. That's the way I've always thought about it. But it seems that the rest of the world thinks about it very differently. They fake not just confidence levels, but they fake the storyline. They fake the intent and so on. That's the way you're seeing, right? Yes. And so there are roots in be cognitive behavioral therapy that led to that definition of faking it that you just laid out. And, and it's perfectly innocent to help a person overcome certain insecurities or a lack of confidence, as you said, right? And to essentially practice those behaviors that you wish you could exude. Yes. And you do that until you're trying on a different wardrobe, but you're, you're doing it until those clothes feel comfortable and it becomes you. And it's hard work and it takes a lot of time. There's other forms of faking it, quote unquote, faking it, like power posing, which Amy Cuddy, yeah. uh, right? She came up with that and she spoke about that at a few TED Talks where you're gesturing with, with your arms outstretched with a broad stance, to, to at least physically show the position of power and confidence. Visualization is also a yeah. technique, um, thinking about projecting how you might behave or act in a certain meeting in order to sort of pre-imagine that situation in your mind and then be more confident in that scenario. If wearing black or wearing a, a bright red tie to feel more confident. These are all ways of boosting your self-confidence to perform better. And there's, it's perfectly innocent. There's nothing wrong with it. And that kind of led to this, you know, fake it till you make it. We used to say that in our office, you know, as a little joke or like a, you know, hey, are you ready for the meeting? Well, I'll fake it till you make it. But, but as you said a few minutes ago, that mutated through social media mm -hmm. and people sort of taking that meme literally, right? Yes. Fake it till you make it. You won't make it if you don't fake it. There's so many Gen Zers I talk to now, students who literally have said to me that they feel that if they don't fake it, they won't be successful. And they don't mean in the ways that I just described, sure. yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they mean lying on your resume, you know, saying you went to Harvard when you didn't, exaggerating the truth about something you did in an interview, over promising what your product can do to a customer. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. And so it's taken on a life of its own and, and has led to, you know, some fabulous case studies of people like Elizabeth Holmes who are on trial yeah. right now, who, who faked it until they couldn't stop anymore. Yeah. And it consumed, it consumed her to the point where it became her and she couldn't unravel it anymore. Yes, I mean, you gave a very good explanation there, and I'm happy that we went down that route because creating a state of mind where you feel confident, tricking your, your mind where you feel confident, faking that is, is good because it gives you confidence to figure out how to do things the right way. But you don't want to fake what you're doing and what you're saying because you build a trap for yourself. You're never going to be in a position to fix it if you can't acknowledge 
that you're not where you say you are. And you see that with a lot of executives, right? They make promises to the market, which they could never ever keep up to. And at some point it's gonna come out and they lose all their credibility. Now I can understand young people not knowing enough about the world to know that the truth always comes up. But what about older executives who've been there for a long time, 40, 50, 60 years old, who still exaggerate, who still mislead? I mean, what's driving them? I mean, that's, those are just bad habits. That's like- Bad the, habits. <laughs> that's, that's just the old autocratic hierarchical style of management from, you know, from the days of yore <laughs> where, you know, that, that, that was just sort of how you, how you did things and you, you know, figure it out later and whatever it is you say is, is gold anyway. So, you know, nobody is going to even try and question you because you're the boss and what you say goes but it's so ingrained in them they don't even you know think about it it's just how they operate so in that situation it's more along the lines of you can't teach an old dog new tricks yes i would say and i mean the only way you can teach an old dog new tricks is when they're exposed mm -hmm. for their life you know and and they've sabotaged their success their their company their employees reputation and you know that's that's a pretty hard fall and you, you know, people learn their lessons and regroup and um, have a come, you know, have a have a, uh, a moment with themselves, if you will, to realize that's not the way to be successful. And maybe they have a second or a third act and, and they do it better. But, you know, the point is that you, you don't want to get to that point, right? Yeah, you never want <laughs> right? to get to that point. Yeah. Because, this, you know, as you say, you can only teach a new dog, an old dog, new tricks when they kind of make a terrible mistake and lose everything a lot of what they had but but then it's too late uh, there's yeah, not yeah. a lot of road ahead for redemption but switching gears a little bit right so i was watching silicon valley which is a um, show on hbo it's about a number of guys who start a coding company a startup yeah. for lack of a better word and they basically are trying to figure out how to scale this business get capital and turn it into a world beater in the likes of google now, I'm not picking on Silicon Valley and HBO by any measure, but it seems as if, as if as a society, that is the message that's you know embedded in our culture that if you do this and if you make it, it's worth the risk. That's a consistent message. You see that whether it's movies, you see that in stories people tell. I've just read a biography of, who was it? Richard Branson, and he starts off by talking about how he made a mistake of doing something wrong by importing and exporting and he was gonna get caught and he's lucky he made it. So it seems as if you, on the one hand, we know it's wrong, but media and culture glamorize it. Yeah, right, it's it's like it's sexy if you can pull it's it off. It's right? if you made it, right? And people want yeah. to be the one that skates near the edge, but they made it. Yeah, and you know, they're somehow on a pedestal, right? And we wanna be like them because they pulled it off. They pulled a fast one, nobody knew. And wow, we just wanna be like able to do that just like them. And again, everything is, is wrong with that. It's aside from that, I mean, I think a leader may be able to pull that off in the short term, but as a repeatable act. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's a good point. That's a great point. You know, it's not sustainable, right? You know, it, you... You can do it once or twice, or maybe maybe you can do it for a couple of years. But ultimately, it's not the recipe for long-term success. If we, if we think about it, when someone fakes it, not with their state of mind, but with their 
with the promises they're making and the stories they're telling and the assets and agreements they claim to have. They basically don't know what's going to happen and they're hoping what they promised works out, right? I mean, yeah, on a whim and a prayer, they, you know, they figure, well, we'll, we'll give it a shot and, you know, maybe it'll work and, you know, maybe it won't, but they're going to try and, and pull it off. And, and then if they do, it's be careful what you wish for, because yes. then, you know, because then you're in that reality. And what do we know about lies, right? Lies beget lies, beget lies, yeah. and you weave a bigger web and a bigger web. There's also this the concept of being a good person, <laughs> which is that, right, if you're a leader, for the privilege of being a leader, you have to lead by example. Yeah. And you don't want to create a culture of people who think that that kind of behavior is okay. Nobody is above performing with, with authenticity and integrity. And I think sometimes a lot of leaders don't know how to operate with authenticity when they're under pressure or when they're faced in yeah. a crisis situation or when they have to admit a mistake that there's something wrong with the product, right? The, yeah. the Boeing Max aircraft disaster or, you know, or just simply that you promised Wall Street a certain number and somehow the numbers didn't work out. And, you know, now you have to, you have to disclose what happened or you have to do a layoff, right? No, I don't know any entrepreneur or CEO who relishes the fact of having to do that. So instead, what do we do? We shove the problem under the rug. We make something up to make the problem go away. We blame it on someone else. We procrastinate and you know hope it'll just fade with time. But, but ultimately, those things always do come out. And that's why behaving that way is just is not a recipe for long-term success in any business or relationship, personal relationship for that matter. It's also a skill. It's like any skill you have, whether it's networking, whether it's speaking, whether it's writing, leading authentically is a skill you have to develop. And if you never develop that skill in the early ages of your life, when you need to display that skill and use it, you don't have the ability because you never learn how to do it correctly. Yeah, you're, it's a really good point. And unfortunately, you know, we, not to get into like parenting psychology here, but we are a product of our parents. We are influenced by our peers, right? And we are influenced by the people who we work for early on in our careers. But every person has, is free to make a choice. You can believe what you want to believe. You can believe that what you see around you is not right. And you can, whether it's gender bias or cheating or, yeah. uh, you know, taking credit for other people's work. I mean, the examples are, are countless <laughs> and you, you can decide to play along with it. And then you become complicit in that behavior, or you can take other action, which is to use the channels that are available to you to bring it to other people's attention, to get to know other people in the ecosystem of where that that those worms lie, so to speak, yeah. or, or to just take your ball somewhere else, because I'll tell you, there are plenty of, of well-run companies who would be thrilled to have a person who believes that integrity and honesty matter come work for them. Yeah, when I've spoken to people who have sort of crossed that line and made those mistakes, one thing that strikes me is how often they are scared to tell the truth, because they feel that falling behind on whatever the project they're working on means they're going to be behind forever. 
But it's very hard to point out to them that they've never been ahead at all. They just think they're ahead if they're lying about it. They need to yeah, so, ask for the help they need as opposed to telling everyone it's fine and nobody wants to help you in the first place. Yeah, so so there's the next book I write. Well, I have several in mind, but I really do think that humility is a totally underrated superpower in, yes. in leadership. And when I say humility, many people think that this is the act of being very self-deprecating and putting yourself down and giving up your position to someone else, right? That's not it at all. Humility is, is actually an act of confidence because it shows that you as a leader are capable of expressing when something is wrong, when you have made a mistake and how you need the help to fix it. Because that simple act levels the playing field and it takes the aggression and the air out of the balloon, so to speak, right? And yes. it creates a culture of learning, of collaboration, so that you don't feel like you have to uh, cover for yourself uh, and lie and always be on pins and needles. This is a leader's job. And to say like, you know, for example, here's a small, a small but representative example where say you just lost a big sales pitch and you as a CEO or the leader of your team, you bring everybody into a room and you have a, a post-mortem and you go around the table, not to point fingers, but to say yourself, you have to start, you're the leader, say like, wow, we really messed that up. So I feel like I could have done these things better and I need to give you guys more resources to do ABC. And yeah. then you go around the room and every and everybody can say their piece, right? But you have to start because you're the leader. And if you don't, everybody's going to be afraid. And yeah. then, you know, and then the key is to, of course, put into action and institute the things that you, you say you're going to do differently. Other, otherwise, the whole conversation was pointless. But um, it really, it really is such a superpower of leadership. I can't emphasize it enough. And as you eloquently explained, it comes down to how we define leadership for ourselves. Because for many people, leadership is about knowing everything, never being wrong, never making a mistake, being flawless. And we have this construct, a trap in our mind that this is the only definition of leadership. And when we can't live up to that ideal definition, ideal for us anyway, that's when we want to fake it. Because we feel if we don't deliver on what we think leadership is, the world's going to toss us aside and we're never going to get a chance to lead again. And I feel a lot of people, they've built this trap in their mind of what's expected of them as a leader, but it has no bearing on reality. They've role modeled the wrong leaders. Yes, exactly. And that, that definition of leadership that you have to know everything is a perception that's based on, on decades of autocratic hierarchical leadership. Yes. Now, that, that's some of the old movies and TV shows that you see where the boss has to have all the answers. But those days are over. Like organizations are much flatter and it's actually leaders, you know, whoever's listening to this, you have the permission to say when you feel like something isn't going right and that maybe you've made a mistake and hey guys, I need some help with this. And the new definition of leadership, which is all about inclusivity, right? And creating a sense of belonging and empathy and listening is all kind of interwoven with 
this notion of, of humility. I will also say when I was a young woman of 29 years old and I started my company in Silicon Valley, I had four years of job experience. Mm -hmm. I knew probably enough to be dangerous and, <laughs> but I, but I had no leadership experience. I'd never, you know, I managed maybe an intern. <laughs> I'd never run yeah. anything, you know, had management experience. I didn't have an MBA. And, um, you know, so, so I also thought that as a, now a CEO, I have to have all the answers. I, I you know, that's how my father was, but I learned that what happens is when you think you have to have all the answers and you don't, you make stuff up and then it catches up with you. And, you know, that's just a little example of faking it right there. It's interesting that you bring it out that way, because when you look at how society works, people obviously know they're doing something wrong. They shouldn't be doing it. They're deceiving investors. They, they know all these things. It's in the news every day. But you feel that we've set up the world whereby we are still rewarding this behavior. And that's why people are doing it. That's what um, mortifies behavior. If you get a reward, you do things. If the punishment is big enough, you don't do it. It's an attachment of pain and pleasure. And my question yeah. is, can we really change the behavior if we don't change the incentive mechanism? Mm. Well, the incentives have to be in line with the behavior we want to achieve. So if, you know, if the rewards also have to be in line with that, right? So yes. if I want to build a company and a brand that has an authentic, honest reputation, then everything about my company has to operate like that, behave yes. like that and be like that. And so I have to reward those behaviors and incentivize those behaviors that promote that kind of behavior, right? So if I, I want to reward an employee for having navigated a difficult client situation yes. or it's okay to have a policy in your business where you can fire a customer who isn't nice to your people. Because, right, if you mm -hmm. accept that kind of behavior, then, then you're complicit in it. And then you're, you're faking that value of, of having integrity. Every single business process you have, everything you do as a company culture embodies those core values, whatever they are that you have, but honesty and integrity presumably are at the foundation of them, right? And so when somebody falls out of line or you, perhaps you've made a bad hire, right? They'll, they'll stick out like a, a sore thumb or they will self-select out and realize it's, it's not the place for them. The culture protects the company and the business processes, you know, build layer on top of that. And then what you have is this halo effect of, of your brand. And ultimately, right, it's what the world sees of you and they want a consistent relationship of trust uh, with you. And when those values fall out of balance, it's when there's an inconsistent customer experience. And that's why <clears throat> it's so hard, right, to maintain an authentic brand, because, you know, that's asking a lot of a company to always be consistently delivering yeah. on, you know, on that. So that's a long way of answering your, your question about incentivizing the right behaviors and rewarding them. But it's a good answer because whenever we think about moments when we kind of break the rules on faking it, the issue is not in the moment. The issue is whether you can be consistent. Yeah. Because you, you are going to have some lapses, but you have to be consistent over the bulk of your career, which is maybe 15 working years, maybe 60 for some people. 
Yeah. And for most people, it's hard to do something simple over and over and over if the reward is not substantial and it's kind of, and they drift at times from side to side. So we live in a world today whereby it's almost become a cottage industry to talk about sincerity, authenticity, humility. They, they seem to be manufactured talking points as opposed mm-hmm. to being actual values that companies and leaders are living by. So as, as someone who is caught up in that sort of whirlpool and chaos, how do you know you are not drifting how do you keep yourself centered to be authentic? Yeah, it's an excellent question because it is so easy to get caught up in the, the whirlwind of the hype. And sometimes you you hear it enough, you think, well, that must be the way it is. Yes. So, yeah. you know, so maybe I'm wrong and you doubt yourself and then you, you know, you join the, the herd mentality, so to speak. I think, well, I'll speak from the perspective of, of a leader, right? Because There's a saying on Wall Street, an old saying, that the fish stinks from the head down. And so if you are the the big fish, right, the big boss, then you have to lead by example. And if you don't, it's going to get kind of stinky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, you always have to look at those core values and have conversations with your leadership team, with your key managers and lieutenants when there is a problem and when there's been a mistake, when you've strayed from a business process, what, what was, why did that happen? How can we realign with that value? And also sometimes, right, values change. What was the way we operated a few years ago is no longer the way we operate post-pandemic. And so it's important, I think almost every three months to sort of have a, have, just have a conversation about like, you guys, this is what we tell our employees and our customers that we stand for. How are we doing? Do, are, do we need to realign these? Do they need to move up or down in terms of importance? Do they take on new meaning over time? And the answer is absolutely they do. And over the period of 25 years of running the company that I, I founded, we did that fairly often, sometimes subconsciously. Sometimes we had to be quite literal about it and and, and talk to our employees and our our customers, our clients about about that. But at the end of the day, it's about self-assessment. When you put your head down on the pillow every night when you go to bed, you have to be able to to say to yourself, you did right. You did the best that you could and you did right by by the people around you, by your kids, by your employees and by your customers. And if you don't feel 100% about that, then you owe it to them. To, to take that up the next day and, and delve into that a bit. It's relentless, tireless work. And that's why people don't stay authentic because it's hard work. The last thing I wanna say on this point is, right? If you are grounded in authenticity and, and integrity, by definition, you're dealing with the truth, right? Integrity is about dealing with the truth which means you're grounded in reality. But the problem is that sometimes the truth can be very hard to deal with. Reality can be very harsh. And that's why it's easy to just get tired and say, oh, let's just do it this way. Just, you know, blow it off or tell them to go away or, you know, shove it under the rug, right? It's exhausting. And that's why leadership is so difficult because to be a good leader, you always have to pull back to that place. What you said is probably the most important thing, yeah. 
to be authentic is really exhausting and tiring because you have to live by the values that you've explained to everyone, but now you've got to walk the walk as such. Yeah. If mistakes happen, you can never, if you want to really build something sustainable, you can never do what you don't want your employees to do. You have to pick up the phone, call a customer, tell them what happened, lay out the line, what you're going to do to fix it, get a lot of blowback and heat as will invariably happen. But you have to constantly yeah. handle crises for what they are versus what you want them to be. Yeah, it's a, it is a tireless, relentless effort in identifying and correcting bad behavior. <laughs> and that is at the root of, of any business process or transaction, right? Or word or sentence that people say. And that's, you know, it's why having people who care about a company's culture and being over communicative, especially now during these times, we've lived with so much fear, uncertainty and doubt, over communicating what you stand for and what you tolerate and what you don't tolerate are incredibly vitally important. One of the things that I've seen when I work with clients is I look at what is their focus, what is the language they use, and what is their state of mind? For example, if a client says something like, well, you know, this, I had a meeting with a, with a client and it was a total waste of time. They were never going to buy from me. I don't know why they set up the meeting in the first place. I always correct them to say that you've got to ask yourself, why is it we or you were not able to convince this person to buy from you? What problem were you not solving for them? You've got to change your language because the first thing I noticed that starts drifting is language. Yeah. As soon as language starts drifting and it becomes a blame game, it almost morally justifies you to cut corners because this other person is not fair to you. Yeah, you know, it is also, um, it's like just because you did it this one way before and it worked then doesn't mean it's the right way to do it next time or this time or every time. And it costs you nothing to say, hey, how do you feel about this? Is this still working for you? Is there anything you'd like to do different? And just to pause for the cause for a moment, right? And, and just say like, you know, we can change things if you like, we can do this or we can do that. But boy, when you do that, it builds so much trust and that you were even open to inviting another person into that conversation. You would do the same thing, presumably in a personal relationship, like you know, how are we doing here? Are we doing okay? Still getting married? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Great and, example, um, Sabrina. <laughs> you know, like, right? And, and people are so afraid of doing that because they think they're going to open Pandora's box and, you know, get all this blowback. But boy, if you do it consistently, what it does is it, it opens the door for uh, openness and an exchange and all of that builds trust. Yes. And the one thing that I always tell clients is that if you don't do this, you are never going to have an open, sincere, and true relationship with someone. And one of the things that you will find becomes more and more important in life and your career is the ability to have trusted counselors, advisors, and peers that you work with. If you're someone that nobody trusts, you're going to be completely isolated for the rest of your life. And it's not Absolutely. a position you ever want. You, maybe now you can't see the value of this, but trust me, you want to be someone that has strong connections with other humans. Oh, yes. I mean, it's, it's the essence of any 
long-term relationship, right? You know, you know that the the diner, the little restaurant down the street that's been there for 40 years still will make your pizza the way you like it. Yes. And, right. And give you the table that's your favorite table. And a free or, prosecco as well. A free prosecco, or yes, a little glass of of Pinot Grigio maybe on the side. But you know, or that favorite scoop of ice cream that that your son really likes on Sundays, right? Those things matter. And when the behaviors change, it's just a small example, again, but it ties back to trust and the essence of a long lasting brand. You will always go back to that place because you trust that they will do those things. And, you know, if they miss it one Sunday, couple Sundays, if they stop doing it, well, you might think twice about going there. You'll take your business somewhere else. It has it's the same thing with a personal relationship with a very large enterprise customer, right? It's, but why, so why do we deviate? Well, we're under pressure to cut costs or we're, we have lost staff, right? These are the problems that a leader often has to deal with. And in order to get back on top of that, you have to say, we're making a mistake here. Yeah. How, let's, yeah. let's figure out how we can fix it. Or we decide that we're just going to be a different kind of company and we establish a different kind of trust relationship and value proposition. And that's okay too, but, but we need to know that we're going to be, you know, letting down and letting go of some customers. Sam, you get some great examples there because often at times when you find someone has made a terrible mistake, they're waiting to see how the leader is going to react. And if the leader doesn't acknowledge the mistake and say, it's fine, we can fix it. We can introduce new processes. Let's learn from this. Let's be better tomorrow. Or the reader reacts in a totally different way where it becomes a screaming match and a shouting match. But it's as you said earlier, it's about the culture and the environment the leader is creating. It's one where failing is okay as long as you're not stepping out of the values we've created. And unfortunately, in too many places, we get so caught up in hitting numbers, quarterly reports, financial year statements, and so on, that the culture doesn't allow people to admit they made mistakes and learn from it. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said before, nobody loves the idea of having to admit that they're going to disappoint their shareholders, right? Or, yeah. or their customers. But wouldn't you rather take a hit for being honest and repairing things than being caught later for having told a lie and losing all of your credibility, right? It's neither option is, you know, is fun, yeah. <laughs> but, but the the former is better than the than the latter because you can recover from that you can recover from an honest mistake sometimes you can't recover from having lied and uh, people you you may move on and you know go to your next act and start your next company but people will remember you know people do remember and you don't you know you don't want to be the kind of person who has that kind of reputation. I mean, that's, uh, that's not success. You know, there's one other thing I want to say here. Nobody is lily white in this conversation. Course, yeah. we, we have all faked it. We've all told a little lie. We've all, I mean, I admit it many times in my book, the mistakes that I, that I made. And the point here is that like authenticity and integrity are like beauty. They're in the eye of the beholder. Oh, and so I like what that. I think, 
right? Yeah, because if what I think is beautiful, you may not think is beautiful, but I think is of high integrity or authentic, you may disagree with. And so you yourself have to decide within the confines of what is the truth and reality, right? How far you want to take what you are doing, whether it's a problem you're solving or a situation that you're in, you have to decide for yourself what those boundaries are. And hopefully within the confines of what is the truth, find what is the right path forward. And it may not be the easy path. It may be really hard. Doing things the right way sometimes means doing them the hard way. That's why people fake it and, and yeah. you know pull a fast one because it's, it's easier. You don't have to deal with all of the stuff. But in the end, it will catch up with you. And again, you have to decide for yourself, right? Within those boundaries, how far you're going to take something or not. And um, and suffer the consequences. So how do you, how does one intervene appropriately mm. if we see a colleague, a coworker, a friend, a family member straying down the dark path? Yeah, I mean, that can be often confrontational and uncomfortable. And many people will just say, you know what, it, it's, it's her business. I'm not going to bother her with that. Yes. You know, if, if she's going to do it that way, then, you know, let, let her figure it out. And I'm not a part of it, but that's a, that's a call you have to make. But if it affects you, if it affects something you are passionate about, a company, a culture, a relationship, a customer, a partner, it's, I think it's, it's important to find a way to have that conversation with that person. And it might be a few conversations right? It might be finding a way where they might be approachable, might take time. It might be not talking to them at all and talking to the people that know them to help to enlist other people to, uh, who are in a position of influence to bring this to their attention. You know, it could be a board member, it could be a colleague, it could be a friend, it could be a, a former work colleague who's no longer even in your company. And, you know, and, and, and going and going that route. But, you know, I think it depends upon the situation and how terrible it is, right? And making sure that if you don't take it upon yourself to somehow have it addressed, whether that's directly or indirectly, right? Then what, what does that say about, about you, right? <laughs> that's and, a good question. Do you care enough to intervene? Yeah, do you care enough? And I right. think that, you know, raises the question about, it, you know, we're getting into personal issues here, but it's so important to pick the people you choose to be close to. Yes, yes. Because one day you're going to need them to intervene if you do the wrong things. Yeah, you absolutely do. And that, this is why having a good safety net of mentors around you is so critically important. Mentors are like the handful or less uh, of people who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. These are the people who you can talk to about situations like this and how to handle them, right? And these are the people who will tell you when you're faking it and yeah. that you need to kind of get back on the right path. It's also about having, you know, you said having mentors, 100% true people, not part of your social circle, so they see things in a different way. It's having that true diversity in your council. 
too often we have the same type of thinking amongst the people who are advising us, where we have the same trade-offs in our values and the person advising us cannot see we're going down the wrong path because they would make the same decision. And it's important to have such diversity that they're going to approach things from a totally different viewpoint. Otherwise, yes. you can't get the right advice. Absolutely. If When I was a young executive, I hired people who I thought were like me, you know? Yeah. And same core value system. Yes, of course, that's a requirement. But if everybody is the same, everybody's thinking the same way, then you're not benefiting from, as you say, the diversity of different points of view, and you may miss certain opportunities and you may not keep your competitive edge. So it's very, very important to start with an assessment of your own weaknesses and where, you know, I know what I'm good at now, and I know where I need to surround myself with certain people who can handle what I can't. And, and knowing that I can rely on them to handle those things. And we are a much stronger team because of that. If I only hired people who are kind of like me, yeah. well, that, yeah. that would be boring and it wouldn't be a successful business long-term. Yeah, I remember we, having, we were having a discussion recently within the company and we're talking about different people that we're working with and someone said, but this person's a B player. They may not be a B player, they may be a C player. And I remember saying that, yeah, but you actually need solid B and C players to do some work. So maybe we just need to put them in the right work. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean... Yeah, you can't have a company of, of, of only leaders. You can't have a company of only C players, right? There is a place for every person in the right company, in the right job, complemented by yes. the right people around them. The trick is to find out what that place is and the right combination of people around them. And I mean, it's, this is why leadership is hard. It's why there are fewer leaders in the world than there are followers, because, yeah. because this is exhausting, intricate, complicated work. And of course, the larger your organization gets and the more complicated it gets, the more difficult it is. And stakes get higher, you know, of course. So, you know, when I say that you should make it and don't fake it, mm -hmm. faking it is you know, it began with a little phrase, but faking it is like an umbrella. It's a broad term for all the ways that leaders make mistakes, right? Yeah. Right. Because, because you're not listening, you're afraid, you're overwhelmed, you shove it under the rug, um, you don't want to deal with it, whatever it is, it's none of it's great. It's not good. And Instead, right, you want to lead with authenticity and always try to regroup because that is your, your best chance for making it, for being successful and resisting those temptations to, you know, take those shortcuts. But you're also cheating yourself of the greatest joy, and yes. that is knowing you did it the right way. Well, that, my friend, is, that is it. I mean... You know, it's, it's the success, it's knowing that you did it the right way and you did it the hard way, perhaps, but you, but you did it and nobody can ever take that away from you. You build a reputation for being a person of that character 
and it stays with you forever, of course, unless you <laughs> don't do that anymore. But, yeah. but that, you know, wh- who came up with that saying that the journey is the reward, right? Yeah. So if that is true, then make it a good one and be proud of it and enjoy it because that that is true success. That is true success. And sometimes success is not about being the biggest or you know, the largest, sometimes success is not having all the answers and just getting to tomorrow, just getting to tomorrow can be a success. And then tomorrow the the reality will change and you will make a new plan and the, the strategy and the answers will become known to you as, as you move forward through time. But that is right. The greatest feeling when you know, wow, like, you know, I did it. I did it and it's it's a thousand percent was the right way. Well, maybe it wasn't the best outcome, but it's your outcome and you can completely own it. And I feel yeah. that today people rush for a result, but when they get the result, they have this horrible regret, this terrible bitterness, this feeling of dread because they know at some point it's all going to come crashing down. And it's just that they, they miss that joy and comfort that comes from knowing you did things the right way. It's so easy to assume it's it's something meaningless but it's actually sort of the greatest feeling you can have yes it's pride right and it's an accomplishment and um that i mean that is the job of a true leader and i often say like leadership is many things but it's making the right decision at the right way hopefully at the right time based on the truth and of course knowing that the truth can change every day um but yes, that, that is the greatest reward. Sabrina, thank you so much. My mind is drifting towards that salmon and the other <laughs> fish. I forget the name. I think it was a short fish. Yes. <laughs> I'm already started thinking about that. But I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think the way you think about pride and humility is very different because you look at the source drivers of what makes people make these decisions. And at no point did I ever hear you judge anyone in this entire conversation. No, no, I, exactly. I mean, I am, my book and what I am doing now in my life is to help others think twice before they do something or to help them figure out a problem or get through a a knothole, right? And, but whatever another person does, you know, it's, it's their deal. And it's up to them. It's like parenting a young adult. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll give you advice. Yeah. And you, you can do with it what you want, but then you have to live with it. Yes. So that's the most interesting thing, right? Because decision process that we apply with adults was developed with our parents. Yeah. By and large. The only difference is our parents are not there. We've got to make decisions by ourselves. I'm not blaming any parents. It's not about blaming, but it's about understanding how important those formative years are because they shape us for the rest of our lives. Yes. And I mean, parenting is a, you know, it's a massive responsibility. I became a better leader because I was a mother and I think I was a better mother because I, I was a, a CEO, but you realize when you run a company, I ran the, I started the company before I had my kids, mm-hmm. but you become more selfless, right? It's not about you. 
It's about everybody else. Yeah. It's about, you know, your kids' success. It's not about controlling them. It's about your company's success, not controlling it, right? Just it's you do the things that you need to do as a leader and right, and you you do it in the best way that you possibly can. And history has shown that if you do do that, you, you know, you'll have a good chance of being successful and getting to the other side of things when you're in trouble, in a crisis. But yeah, I, uh, I really love this conversation. It was so organic and natural. I loved it. Me too. I enjoyed speaking to you. I mean, I don't have kids, but one way I've learned to develop humility is to do the work of an employee that you're complaining about. Mm-hmm. Spend a day in their shoes and you'll be shocked to see the problems they face that you think are so easy to fix. A thousand percent. I totally agree. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to hear, oh, this really sucks. I don't like that. This yeah. person is doing this and I hate this task. And, you know, guess what? If you, like you say, put yourself in their shoes and just do it for one day, you'll be like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> you'd actually you know? feel, you'd, you'd want to help them and hug them sometimes when you realize what they're going through. And you're sitting on some office somewhere complaining about them. You actually feel as if, you know, you, I think you see them for a person as opposed yeah. to an employee. And, and that's, for me, that's what leadership is. You got to see the person for who they are beyond their work and respect them for who they are beyond their work. Because the work is just a few hours that you spend together, but they're going to go on and you want to leave something worthwhile with them. Yeah. But I mean, as the founder of my own business, there was a time when I didn't see what you just described. I wanted everybody to love my company as much as me. I wanted them to give me all of themselves so that, you know, I could, I could be successful. I didn't have the confidence to see that bigger perspective, right? That bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was just a different variation of that was that if I treated people in the right way. And if I stuck to our core values, and if I was always honest with them and approachable and a few other things, right? That that was the wagon they wanted to hitch themselves to, not by controlling them and impressing them with how great our company was. Like there are plenty of great companies that offer great benefits. That's not, that's not why they come or stay. Yes, yeah, so people want to be part of a story that respects them and sees them for who they are. I think that's a great way to end. Let's go have some fish now. I mean, you made me hungry. <laughs> yes, I have to. My older daughter, I think, is um, putting these things in the oven. So I better go check on them. And... Sabrina, it's been a, I enjoyed the conversation immensely. Uh, you have yeah. such a nice way of thinking about things. We're definitely going to stay in touch and I hope you enjoy dinner. Thank you so much. It was a great way to end my Tuesday. And I am, I'm sorry I didn't get to do this with Chris, but I really had a fun time talking with you. So thank you. Take care. Ciao. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. 
It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.